is essential to the life of the believer. If I can find Acts, it would help out. There we go. Perfect. Uh, prayer is essential for the life of a believer, and I think a lot of believers' mindset on prayer is wrong. Um, I think it needs to be adjusted at least. It's not complete. Um, maybe not completely off, but it's not a full picture. Um, and I was reading Corey Tin Boom, and I saw a quote that said, uh, she says, is prayer your steering wheel, or is it your spare tire? I think that shows the approach a lot of believers have on prayer. We want it there when we get an emergency, but it's not something that uses, we use to steer our life. It's definitely not something we use to steer our spiritual life, and, and it should be. So today we're going to be digging into the book of Acts, and we want to dive right in and enjoy, uh, enjoy that a little bit. The context of this passage we're going to be reading in Acts is basically, uh, if you start at the beginning of 4, it reads that Paul and John are going before the council, and basically they were arrested for preaching the gospel. And they were told, stop it. And they replied, no, we won't do it. So as soon as they get out of, uh, out of being locked up by them, it picks up in verse number 23, where we'll start reading tonight. And it says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers, and, and, the, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anoint, his anointed. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, lead us in your ways and your thoughts and your ideas. Our ways, Lord, are not your ways. Show us how to walk in response to you. Show us where we're thinking the wrong way. Show us how we should think. Lead us to the way of the everlasting. Father, teach us to think like you think. Amen. So immediately when I read this passage, I was looking down at a couple things. I noticed one thing right away, uh, and that was basically there was some community that was happening. So point number one reads that community was happening. Where do we see that? It says right away when they were released, they went to their friends. So the first thing they did when they left that place was to go find some of the people that they lived life with. I believe that we are designed for community. We are being, we were, God created us to long for community. And we're going to find that somewhere. So where um, Peter and John were finding that community with the believers, we do see other types of community happening right here in these passages uh, the first one where there was the rulers, the elders, and the scribes that had just arrested them. They had community there. They were plotting together against them to silence them and their gospel message. They did not want them to preach Jesus. And they were doing what they thought was right to stop that. And that was to make these guys be silent. And so we had community there. But I think you also see community a little bit in uh, 26 
and it's quoting David, but David was talking about, um, or 20, 25 and 26, he's talking about the Gentiles and the peoples, multiple people, they were together plotting against God. The rulers were gathered together. They had come together, and in that community, in that relationship, they were working against what God was doing. Point being, you will find community somewhere. You will find a good community or you will find a bad community. Plain and simple. You're going to have a community around you. And while community was happening right here, with community comes influence. Your community will influence you. Your community will, will have a say and an impact on what you hear, and that will impact how you think. What you think, what you're hearing all the time, is going to have an effect on how you process things and make decisions. It's going to happen. How many times have you seen it said where uh, you, you talk about somebody, oh, man, they fell in with the wrong crowd. Or somebody shares their story, man, I just started hanging out with the wrong people. And uh, I started doing dumb things because I was hanging around with dumb people. That's what happens, right? Birds of a feather flock together. You start doing the kinds of things with other people that are hanging around. You'll start valuing them. A lot of times those things start small, but they'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. The kind of people that you're hanging out with will affect you. In the very beginning, in the summation, I was talking about the rulers, the elders, the scribes. They were coming together. They They were looking for a political answer. That's what they were doing. The kings, they're looking for a political answer. They're looking to end a kingdom that's against theirs that they can never beat. But they're looking for political ways to solve things. A lot of believers right now are falling into that trap where they're trusting in politics to be the answer they're looking for. And if you look back to a few weeks ago when we were talking about Ecclesiastes, we said that there is no hope in politics and justice. There's no hope. You will not find it under the sun. We're looking for it in secular ways that cannot solve the problem of man. It's hopeless. So we have people choosing to align themselves with the world as opposed to align themselves with God and his people. I would urge you to make your circle a community of believers. Don't look outside for the people that you are allowing to speak into your life to be people who do not align themselves with God's values and God's ways. Now, you're going to have people in your life, and I'm not saying make yourself a little Christian bubble where nobody speaks to you but those people, but the reality is is that there are people that you allow to speak into your situations. Don't let secular people do that. Don't let them tell you what to value because they will lead you to value things that are not of God. Both Psalms and the Proverbs start off by telling you what kind of company you keep. Both of those books start off saying, don't keep bad company. Don't keep bad company. Because it's going to change what you want. It'll change the style of clothes you wear. It'll change the music you listen to, the stuff you spend your money on, the time you spend doing extracurricular activities. It'll change all of those things. So be really careful about the people you decide to spend your life with and that you give influence to. It is vital, it is vital, it is vital. And sometimes it seems innocent. And they're, only, they're not leading you to do bad things, but they're not pressing you towards the Father. 
And that's a subtle thing that we don't always get. Now, they're not making me do bad things. They're fine people. They're good. They're good. No, 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 no. Are they pressing you toward the Father? If they are not pressing you to the Father, they are pointing you and pressing you towards something different. So be careful with the people that you give a voice to in your life. Protect that. Who do, Paul, who do these two guys write? I keep wanting to say Paul. It is not Paul. It is Peter and John that I was talking about right here. Who are they given influence to? They are given influence to a group of believers that are pushing them to pray. So point number two says that the believers were devoted to prayer. The believers were devoted to prayer. How do we find that? Where is it at? When they gathered together, what's the first thing they did? Prayed. They gave a report of what was going on, and the response to that was prayer. They pick up in the middle of 24, and it says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They begin by going to God and praising Him and praying to Him, speaking to Him. They had a lifestyle of prayer. I would think they would take to heart uh, Thessalonians, that idea in Thessalonians. It says that you are to pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Always pray. Scripture tells us that... uh, Man, prayer was expected to happen. Scripture says that when you pray, it's not a command, go pray. When you pray, it is expected that believers are praying all the time. They're praying constantly. Scripture is painting an image of this over and over again. We are a people of prayer. We are called to pray. Our relationship with God is to pray to Him. If we're not praying to Him, what is that relationship like? Spurgeon said it this way. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. We're called to pray. If we're not praying, what kind of relationship do we have? There's a friend who used to come to the warehouse. He started coming when he was very young. We called him Stack Money because he wore a shirt one day that said Stack Money on it. That became his nickname for a long time. He was a lot younger. He would come with his older brother, would work there. His older brothers would walk there, and so he would come with them. And he would always hang out in a skate park. Uh, His name was Shamik. And uh, Shamik was about five, and he had his little attitude, always trying to be tough. He would make his face all the time. And so the guys were talking one day about their girlfriend, and Shamik goes, I got a girlfriend. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Shamik? He's in like, he's. Five or six. He's in kindergarten or first grade. I'm like, all right, Shmeek, is, uh, is uh, she in your classroom? No. Is she in the other kindergarten class? No. Is she in first grade? No. All right. Um, how do you know her? From school. Okay. She used to be in my class. Oh, okay. So she was in your class. Then she moved somewhere else. Shmeek, where did she move? Texas. Okay. Five-year-old. Got himself a little girlfriend in Texas. Okay, sure. So, Shmeek, uh, you call her on the phone? No. You email her? No. Do you ever talk to her? No. All right, Shmeek, you say she's your girlfriend. Does she know you're her girlfriend? Like, because you're saying something right now, but, like, there ain't much of a relationship right now. You're making it up. I can say I'm somebody's boyfriend, girl. We can say these things, but is it really true? He couldn't get that. He didn't really have a relationship with her. He wanted to call it his girlfriend. But did homeboy have a girlfriend? Nope. There was no relationship there. He didn't talk to her. It wasn't a relationship. You can call it what you want, but it wasn't anything. A lot of times, that is the approach 
that a believers have with God. You say you have a relationship with them, but, but ain't no conversation going on right there. There ain't no relationship going on right there. You can call it what you want, but it ain't nothing happening right there. We're called to be devoted to prayer and have a lifestyle of prayer and be praying consistently, constantly, in every situation. There was a guy we met named, uh, or a guy we knew, Tim and I knew him, his name was George Everdeen. And uh, he since moved away, but we were meeting with him in a subway booth one time. And we're hanging out in that booth, and he's sitting down, Tim's across from him, I'm sitting beside him, and we're talking about the early days of the warehouse and some needs, and he's like, we better pray about it. And then he just doesn't stop talking, he just keeps talking. So I'm looking at him, and I see Tim bow his head, I'm like, oh man, this man's praying. Like, like it just happened so consistently, like, it just all of a sudden he just put his head down, he just, he didn't put his head down, he just kept talking. Like, prayer was a part of his life and a part of how he lived, and he just could go into prayer at any moment. And so Tim, being more spiritual than me, is sitting there, he bows his head. George doesn't, but he's focused, and I'm sitting there looking at both of them. Taking it all in, going, all right. It, it was just a neat impression on me of, of a guy that just very naturally went into prayer. It wasn't something he had to, like, step away from and now pray, but he prayed consistently and often, and it happened so naturally that he could do it at any moment. I'm not speaking like against taking a position of prayer. I think that has at times helpful. There's two awesome prayer, uh, prayer stools right here, and I'll hold them up so people online can see. And it's just a little stool so you can easily get down and up if you're going to take a position of prayer. And uh, Brother Larry Bain made these for us, and, uh, but I recently put them right here because I think it's sometimes very powerful to take a position of prayer, to be intentional in your prayer, and to lay aside distractions. So I'm not speaking against those, but if prayer only happens in those times, it limits how much we can pray, all right? So prayer should be a regular part of our life that we can do at all times and in all things. If you look right here in the passage, nothing was stopping them from praying. They had just been arrested and told to stop praying or to stop witnessing, and they basically said, it's not happening. They looked, and in verse... Um, Verse 19, they pick up and it says, they basically say, stop praying. And he says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. They look, stop preaching. They said, no, we're not going to stop. We cannot help but to testify. We cannot help but to testify. Hard things did not stop them to pr from praying. It pushed them into prayer. It pushed them into prayer. And hard times in our lives should do the same thing. Busyness in our lives should do the same thing. We often put off prayer because we don't have enough time to pray, but our busyness should press us into prayer more so that our actions and our busyness should be led by God and not control us. Now, when you do things that are new, they're difficult at times, right? You start working out, so the rumor is, I haven't started. But you start working out, and you start seeing guys lift muscles, and you know, they talk about the burn, right? Oh, it burns, and it's, the next day you walk around, and you can't lift your arms. So I've maybe done it once or twice, but only once or twice, and the muscles are tight, right? But then you watch those guys who keep at it, and then what becomes one of their bragging points? Feel the burn. They talk about that. They embrace it. So when it's new, they whine and cry about it. 
But as it goes on, that's something they begin to embrace because they understand the benefits that come when that process happens. A lot of times when we begin a new discipline like prayer, it's difficult. It's not easy, and it feels weird, and it feels awkward, but the more you press into it, the more it becomes natural and a part of your daily life. So if you begin to start praying and it feels weird, don't lose courage. Don't lose hope. If the things that, are, that you desire to happen don't happen right away, don't give up. Press on. Press on. One of the things that you can do when you first begin to pray, when you don't know how to pray, is you look at Scripture and pray those prayers, right? I shared with you one out of Daniel 2.20. We read the one right here out of Acts chapter 4 in the beginning. Um, when I began to pray a couple years ago, I wanted to deepen my prayers. Uh, I went and looked up all of the uh, prayers of Paul throughout all of his books, and I wrote it. I copied and pasted them. I didn't write them all down. I copied and pasted them in my little word form, and I began to pray those prayers. I began to pray those prayers for me. I began to pray those prayers for my family, and I began to pray those prayers for you guys. Um, a few years ago, we did a uh, 24-hour prayer thing, right? I don't know if anybody remembers us doing that, and uh, we wanted to pray for 24 hours straight, and part of it was on a Friday during the day, and there was a several-hour block that uh, nobody could come. I was five or six hours, whatever the time was, nobody came. And I stayed there and I prayed that entire time. And in my hand was that list of Paul's prayers and the list of the church uh, people who were coming to church. I began to match those prayers up and I began to pray those things for us. Later on in Life Together group, we did it a couple times where I cut those prayers up and I passed them out to everybody so we could pray those prayers for each other. A lot of times we don't know what to pray. But God, in his revealing himself to us and revealing his desires for us, have showed us through his word how we should be praying. So if we do not know how to pray, look to God's word to teach us how to pray. If we don't know how to pray, cry out to God, cry out to the Spirit, give me the words to pray. And I believe that if you do that, it will take you to point number three, which is calling us to be, or calling them specifically, but us to, they were focused on kingdom coming, specifically in their prayers. When they prayed, they were focused on kingdom goals and not personal goals. A lot of times when you look at somebody's prayer, they begin to pray, it's all personal stuff. Give me this, give me that, bless me, do this for me, God. And they go to God like a vending machine saying, all right, God, give me what you want. Give me what you want. I'm putting this time in and answering my prayers. Sometimes it gets a little bit better when we begin to pray for the people around us. But most of those times, they're praying for things like sickness and health, and it doesn't get much deeper than that. But if you look at the prayers right here, man, they're not praying for their own way. They're actually not even praying for the gospel work to become easier. Because it's not going to come easier. Jesus has told us, it's hard for me, it's going to be harder for you. And the disciples had just seen him die on the cross. It's not going to get easier. The world is against the gospel. The gospel work will not be easy. They're not asking for it easy. They're saying no matter the cost, put us in a position to share the gospel. Give us the boldness that we need to press on. It doesn't matter the cost. Give us the boldness that we need to press on. Meanwhile, the American church is saying, can't share the gospel in the workplace. I might lose my job. So what? Now, it's a big deal if you lose your job. I'm not taking that lightly. 
what's going to happen? Is God not sovereign? Is God not able to provide for you if you lose your job? We're worried about what might happen. The reality is that we should have more fear of God than we do of what the world might do. We have to begin to respond to God and not the world. The disciples, as they prayed, were focused on kingdom things happening and not personal issues. Now, if you keep reading and you read all of Scripture, they pray for personal issues too. There's a model for praying for those things, right? When people are sad, when people are lonely, when people are upset, they're burdened, they cry out to God. But the primary part of our prayer life should not be requesting those things to God. Our prayer life should be primarily focused on accomplishing kingdom things. Father, put me in a position. Put me in a position to carry out your kingdom, to cause you to have glory in anything that happens, no matter what it might cost me. Father, set me up to give you glory in everything. As they prayed these things, they prayed these things together. They prayed with one accord, point number four. They prayed with the same heart. They prayed with the same mind. Why? It's the positive output of what happens in the community. We press each other to long after the things that are most valuable. That's what a biblical community should do. That's what we should be doing as a church. Walking together with the same mind, desiring the same goals, and aligning our lives to fit with those things. One of the reasons that we are doing this book together, if you don't have one, grab one. One of the reasons that we are doing this is so that we would begin to pray for what we think are good things, but that we begin to pray together, desire the right things together, and that that, as it influences our prayers, then we would begin to have these conversations with each other. We would be going in this direction of desiring God over everything else. So if you don't have one of these, grab one of these. There's some down here. There's some in the back. Catch up with us. We're on day 11 now, and you can catch up with us. I am behind. I'm going to catch up. But the idea is that we start having the same mindset where together we are working in the same direction for God's glory in all that we do. It doesn't mean that we're going to look the same. It doesn't mean that we're going to have the same jobs and the same goals. But it means that we're going to be pressing towards a common goal together. And we need each other to do it. We need each other to do it. God has even built us differently with different gifts. So we can do the same thing together. Maybe different parts, different jobs. But when you're building a house, you need somebody with different skill sets, right? My favorite part is probably Carson's, the man who puts the AC in. I don't have that skill set, but I'm thankful for it, and I'm encouraged. What are we getting at here? We're a people of prayer. We have a relationship with the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who made everything out of nothing, has a relationship with us. We have the ability to go to him one-on-one and have a conversation together. We have the ability to go to him as a body 
and petition, excuse me, and petition him on our behalf. We are able to call out, and he has made that possible through the death of Christ on the cross. He's paved the way for us to reconcile us together and to restore that relationship that Adam and Eve once had in the garden. Wouldn't it be a shame if we looked away from it and chose not to communicate with God? Wouldn't it be a shame if we took all of our prayers and all of them were self-centered and not kingdom-focused? So as you learn how to pray, I'll confess my prayer life is not what it should be. I am not leading the way in this, and I've been very appreciative to study this topic for the last few weeks. As we press into prayer as one of the most important things that we can do, we have to ask God to shape our hearts and change our values. As we begin to pray these things, as we pray kingdom things, it will cause us to think differently, and then then we will respond differently. When we begin to think differently, our actions will change. So as a group, we press into prayer, we press into praying kingdom goals, and we are intentional in our conversations and the community that we have together. So Andrew's going to come up. He's going to lead us in, in some music and some worship. We have a, a, one more question for you as, as we do that. If we look at our lives, we're busy, and things like this won't just happen. We have to be intentional and make decisions to carve some things out of our life to make times for this. So specifically for you right now, what are you going to give up to make time for prayer? What are you going to sacrifice? You're not going to find time in your life. It never happens. You won't find any extra time. But there are things you can sacrifice. So what sacrifices will you make this week to put yourself in a position to intentionally pray to God? Let's close with prayer. God, you know I'm bad at this. I probably shouldn't be the one leading this message. But Father, I thank you for speaking to me in this season and in this study. God, change my heart. Change my response to you that I wouldn't wait last minute to come to you. I wouldn't wait to last minute to come to you when I'm in trouble. But that I would come to you more often and Stay out of that trouble. God, lead us. Lead our hearts to you. Lead us to desire you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.